Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Matt, um, together with my wife. Oh, I'm a trustee at Vineyard, and then together with Lids, we lead the youth in a small group here, which we love. Um, and this morning, I'm carrying on our series looking through the Gospel of Mark, um, picking up at chapter 14 this morning, um, which has got a lot in it. It sort of covers the two days before the Passover festival when Jesus was betrayed um, and went to trial. And so a few weeks ago, I spent some time reflecting on kind of the passage as a whole and felt God really speak to me about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane um, and what it means to be a son or daughter of God. Now, those of you that listened to Pip last week will know that she spoke really well about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how she knew what it meant to be a daughter of God, trusted him and treasured these things up in her heart. And I enjoyed listening to Pip's talk, but it was very familiar because there's a lot of it in my talk as well. So I think there are three reasons for this. One, I wasn't going to do a very good job. So Pip, God used Pip to kind of brief you all beforehand so you'd understand. <laughs> Number two, you weren't listening to Pip. And so God wants me to go over it again for your benefit. Or three, this topic is something that's... Much easier. Um, so if it's the first of those three, I apologise. If it's the second, you should maybe apologise to Pip. <laughs> and hopefully it's the third of those three. And I came across a quote from J.I. Packer, who's an author, this week, actually, when I was, kind of, I was just kind of thinking about this and chuckling about it. And the quote was, sorry, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. Indeed, for when a person deliberately and confidently calls the almighty father, it shows they have grasped something beautiful and fundamental about who God is and to what they've been saved and how that wins our hearts back to him. For the fact that God the father is happy and even delights to share his love for his son and thus be known as our father, reveals how unfathomably gracious and kind he is. And so hopefully it's the latter of those three, and this is just something that God's got for us at the moment. So this morning we're in chapter 14, um, which is a bit of a kind of roller coaster to give you a very quick summary. Jesus is anointed at Bethany to start with. He then shares the Last Supper, his final meal with his disciples. Judas leaves that meal to betray Jesus, and Jesus foretells Peter's betrayal around the table. Jesus then takes his disciples outside the city wall to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Jesus is betrayed by Judas there. He's taken away and subject to an unjust and unlawful trial. And then finally, Jesus is betrayed by Peter. So overall, probably the most difficult couple of days of Jesus' life up until this time from a, from a human perspective. And so... I want to pick up on the Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane this morning. He'd sort of, he knew he was going to be betrayed. He told everyone that he was going to be betrayed. And he was, the cross was coming in a couple of days. He would be led out from this point and taken to trial. Um, it'll come up on the screen, but do open it in front of you. It's starting at verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. 
He began to be dis deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he told them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, you asleep. Couldn't you watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. I'll just pray quickly before we get stuck in. Father God, we thank you so much that you are our Father. We thank you for everything you've done for us and will do for us. We thank you that you love us and that you're here with us. And this morning, would you just speak to us? Would you speak to our hearts about our relationship with you? Yeah, would we just see something new in this passage this morning? Amen. So I'll pick up three points this morning from this passage um, about our relationship as sons and daughters of God. The first one about God and the second two examples from Jesus. I've got quite a pretty graphic that will come up. And at the top, I'll put a quote from uh, the Bible. In the middle is Jesus' example, and at the bottom is how that applies to us. It's in verse 36, Jesus starts his prayer with Abba, Father. He's, that's how he starts. He's come out of the city. He's gone into this garden to come before God. And his first words are Abba, Father. Abba is a term that I'm sure many of us are familiar with in some contexts. It's quite a familiar uh, term. It can translate into the English as, as dad or daddy. And it wasn't unheard of for Jews to call God Father. But the emphasis here was very unusual, much more familiar, much more kind of child and dad relationship than a sort of formal kind of father greeting. Now, I don't know how easy we find it uh, to relate to God, to think of God in that way as father, or even more than that, how easy we find it to relate to God as both God and dad. Yeah. Until we understand that God is both God and dad, I don't think much of the Bible probably doesn't make much sense because it's so fundamental, as that quote from Joe Packer talked a bit about, the Bible is based around our God being three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is reflected kind of through the New Testament, who, writers who picked up on this. In the book of Romans, Paul uses the exact words, he uses Abba Father in chapter 8, in the same way as Jesus. He said, the spirit you've received brought about your adoption and sonship, and by him, by Jesus, we call him Abba, Father. And what John writes in 1 John, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. God has been God the Father, God our Dad, since before time began. He's a trinity. He's three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before time, 
God has been loving the Father, sorry, God, the Father has been loving the Son, and the Son has been a loving Son of the Father. And through Jesus, we can be welcomed into that eternal loving position. If God is God as a singular entity, that's a completely different concept. A kind of autonomous ruler who creates people wouldn't have an ability to love them, to welcome them, to have them as sons. If we depend on Jesus for our salvation, we are adopted and welcomed into that eternal loving relationship that the Father has with the Son. That's so powerful. We have familiarity, but we also have unconditional love. We have acceptance and kind provision from the King of the universe. Pip spoke a bit last week about how um, she heard something that said, God is so delighted with our sheer existence. He feels about us like a dad feels about his son, but, but so much better, so much more perfect. Because the other aspect of this is that because God is dad, we also know that this was a painful process for him. He'd, he'd been loving the son for eternity, and here he was laying the punishment and pain from everything we've done onto him, onto part of himself, his eternal son. God put himself through this suffering. He went through this because he loved us and he wanted to know us without sin or shame. He wanted to welcome us freely into relationship with him. Jesus knew that God was his dad and today we can have confidence that we know that God is our dad that he loves us beyond what we could ever believe, that he is for us, he paid the ultimate price for us. But he is also still God. He also spoke and the entire universe came into being. The, the kind of power and the magnitude of that, we can't get close to getting our head around. I think the second thing that I want to pull out from the passage in Jesus' prayer is, what, is that as Jesus is a son of the Father, when it gets difficult, he relies on a relationship he has with the Father. And Jesus has this eternal relationship with God, but while he was on earth, he demonstrated what it looks like for man to maintain a relationship with God. He often prayed out loud. He withdrew to pray during the Gospels more times than, more times than I had time to count, more times than we would ever do, I suspect. And in these two days leading up to Passover, Jesus was betrayed by two of his closest friends, the crucifixion and death were kind of front of mind. They were coming. It was, it was probably tomorrow. That was what he had in front of him, and he knew all about it. He knew exactly what it was entail. The reason that Jesus in the garden was in the, the reason that Jesus was in the garden in the first place was that things were getting serious. Things were escalating. I think the word he I think the words he used was that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I suspect that feeling needing needing help. Our souls being overwhelmed to the point of death is probably stronger than some of us have experienced. But how often do we need reassurance? Do we need help? How often do we go stuff that's not exactly what we wanted it to be or how life how we kind of pictured our life panning out? But what's our coping mechanism in that in that time? Do we maybe like we do we maybe try and enhance our own lives? Do we buy something new to treat ourselves? Do we distract ourselves by fantasy inspired by Instagram or right move or going out with our friends? Do we throw ourselves into work or friendship or even church? 
do we try and just ignore that anything's wrong and just kind of keep going and get our head down? I know that I've been guilty of all of those things long before I even considered turning to prayer, turning to my Father in heaven. Jesus is the total opposite. All through the Gospels, he's withdrawn to pray for good things and bad things. And now things get really serious. It's exactly where he goes again. We can't just kind of walk through life. We pray when we lose our keys. We maybe pray when something goes really wrong, and we might pray when something's really good. But then that's about it. We can't kind of turn up to church every now and again, have some Christian friends, help out a bit, and think that we're building a relationship with the Father. When two people love each other enough to agree to get married, at that point in their lives, they love each other, and they make a covenant that says they will love each other all the days they're alive, regardless of what happens, regardless of what they go through, regardless of how they may feel on any given day. If after 10 years they hadn't spoken or kind of been in the same room as each other or spent any time together, they would still be husband and wife by law, but they would have no relationship. If I'd suggested that to Lids on day one of our marriage, I'm not sure it would have gone down particularly well, and rightly so. In the same way, when we were adopted by God, we are his son or daughter. We, we kind of achieve the legal title on day one, but that doesn't automatically come with a relationship. It breaks down a little bit because God will always welcome us back and God will always love to hear from you or, or see you. But we need to build relationship with God. We have the opportunity to build relationship with the king of the earth who created the world and the universe who wants to be our dad. And sometimes times get really hard. Sometimes times are easy. Sometimes we're a bit lazy. Sometimes we want 10 minutes extra in bed. But we need to remember to choose to lean on our dependence, our faith in God. In the same way we may do on a spouse or a partner or a parent or a child. Investing time in that relationship is so important. Because God is our dad. We need to continue to trust that we have a dad in heaven who loves us. He wants the best for us. He wants to hear us speak to him. Jesus starts his prayer with an acknowledgement of the depth of relationship. He starts with Abba. That's a, it's a kind of vulnerable, childish term coming to his dad. That's a familiar term. Maybe that's something we want to try this week. Maybe that's the place to start. Actually recognizing the relationship that could be available with a, with a term that, that brings us back to who God is and why he adopted us. Why he did all this in the first place. Because he loved us and wanted to welcome us into a relationship. And then finally, I just want to talk a bit about Jesus' final words in verse 36. He says, everything is possible. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus was obedient. I wonder what you think of when you hear the word obedience. I'm not sure it's my favourite word, and I doubt that it stirs feelings of excitement and joy for the next 10 or 15 minutes. But please bear with me. It's also an interesting concept in our culture. A culture that says, kind of, you do you, and you do what feels good or right, and anyone that tries to do anything else is kind of is bad news, and they need to be kept at arm's length or, or blocked out. Many of the people around us have probably told us that church has too many rules, or 
um, they, too many hoops to jump through for their liking. They, they kind of they'd rather have their freedom. That that's not where they want to be. And to some extent, it's natural to want to push against barriers and limitations. Jonah's a fairly um, unmolded human, um, and he's not the biggest fan of obedience. At a lot of times, yesterday I think he hit the floor and lost it because I wouldn't let him eat a washing tablet, which I think was a particularly good example. <laughs> He doesn't understand that I love him and want the best for him and that eating washing tablets is not the best thing for him. He doesn't understand that I see a bigger picture. He doesn't understand the relationship we have in any kind of more detail than he can conceive as a one-year-old. And, and maybe you feel the same way about some things God is asking you to do. The obedience, most of the time, if I ask Jonah to come outside and play in the garden, that's great news. Or if I, if I buy his obedience, often compensation in our house involves cake. Everyone's a big fan of cake, particularly Jonah. And maybe you feel that God doesn't offer enough compensation sometimes. That actually times are hard, and having to, to do whatever it is that you feel God is pushing is, is hard work, and actually things perhaps should be made a bit easier for you first. Maybe you should fit a bit more with what you enjoy doing. Maybe you feel there are areas of your life that God is just asking a bit too much. Particularly there might be something in the Bible that God's placed on your heart that you're resisting because there's not enough cake. Maybe you felt God asking you to share something in worship this morning or last week. Or pray for someone. Or even lift the situation up to him in prayer. Maybe there's something on your heart that you feel you should pray about, but you just haven't quite got around to it yet. Maybe God's asking you to wait in a period of unanswered prayer. All of those things, and anything God has for us, can be really, really hard. It's not easy. Jesus prays this prayer now for at least two hours, because what was ahead of him was hard. Hard beyond whatever we could comprehend. But we all have things in our own lives that are difficult and not easy. And we're free to pray prayers like this to God. We're free to express that we're not particularly happy about it. We are free to express our deepest anger and frustration. Whatever it is, the reluctance. He knows them anyway. He knew them before he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew them before he came to earth. You've got nothing to lose with expressing emotion or feelings to God. But we're also free to obey him in any situation free to follow what he's got for us. And when obedience is difficult, when there's something that we're struggling with, we should follow Jesus' model here. He remembers, he reminds himself, he reminds those around us that God is his Abba, his Father, his Dad, and that everything is possible for him. He's Dad and God. When we understand who God is, that he is our Heavenly Dad, who loves us more than we could ever imagine loving anything, that he came to earth because he wanted to involve us in that relationship. And, it, and that position where we are guilt-free, we're shame-free, he just wants us to be us with him. Doesn't obedience feel like more of an appropriate reaction than disobedience? Doesn't obedience feel like maybe he does want the best for us? That washing tablets might not be a best mid-morning snack. I think obedience is easier when we understand who God is. And it's even easier when we build relationship with him. 
if we spend time investing in that relationship, we know God's heart. It's a practice. We understand what God wants for us and the people around us. And it moves our hearts as well. I think God can achieve great things through small acts of obedience in our lives. They feel small at the moment, and that's where God starts with most of us. I don't think many people go from kind of brand new to anything about Jesus from to uh, disappearing off to an unknown population somewhere as a missionary or even kind of crucifixion or, or martyrdom. God starts small because we build a relationship with him in the same way we do as our sons. We build, it almost builds trust. I'm sure we all probably have examples in our lives where God's asked us to do something where we felt like we probably should do something that just sort of odd feeling where you think, oh, maybe I should. And actually, it's come out quite well. It's not gone badly. It's probably been good for us because we thought, actually, I'm pleased I did that. That was good. I'll do that again. It's probably come out for the other person involved or the other people involved. They probably thought, I. it would have made a difference to their lives. It's achieved something small and positive that might not be small. We, we often don't see it. It builds our faith and our character. And it builds over time, as I said. In James, he writes that our our continued obedience to God produces perseverance. And perseverance allows us to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. That's a bold claim that starts with obedience. I think a claim that started with winning the Euro millions might end in not lacking anything rather than obedience. And it almost sits a bit strange. You think, how can that possibly, how does that work? That doesn't make any sense. But those small acts of obedience, that building relationship over time with God, draws our heart close to him. It has the ability to change us, to give us character, to build us more into the people that God wants us to be. And finally, the group of people that form a church that's able to continue to worship God and love its city for 10, coming up 11 years in this case, but 20, 50, 100 years, will go through so many trials and challenges. But what a testimony to God, to the obedience and perseverance of those involved, but also to the heart of the Father that sustained them and maintained them. All those people that choose to be an active part of loving their city, being part of their church, are a testament to the goodness of God. Chelmsford Vineyard here, we don't have a large building in the centre of a community that stands as a testimony to the goodness of God for hundreds of years. Instead, it's us as a gathering of a group of people that know that God is our dad, that he loves us, that we have built a relationship with him and we've continued doing what he asked in small ways. Isn't it so exciting to be a part of that, to know that that is how we'll ultimately influence our city? We can be a, a testament to the goodness of God in small ways and over time. If you'd like to stand and I'll pray.